Um, grab your Bible, and if you don't own one, there's one in the pew back in front of you, a paperback Bible. What we do at Westside is we don't put a lot of verses on the screen because we want you to trust your Bible, not the person speaking up front. So grab your Bible, turn it to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 127, and give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. All right, as Jason said, Psalm 127, we're going to read the entire chapter. If you don't have a Bible, like you said, there's a, there's a Bible in front of you in the back of the pew. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's our gift to you guys. We'd love to give you God's word so you can keep having eyes on scripture at home as well. Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. When I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with, thanks be to God because we were thankful for God's word. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. Again, we're glad that you're here. And if it's your first time here, we're in a series called Summer Playlist. And, you know, when you look at summer, you think about road trips, you think about soundtracks of summer and all of those types of things. But what we're actually learning about, tucked away in the book of Psalms, and the Psalms is kind of like God's inspired hymn book. And in the book of Psalms, there's a little section beginning with Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 called the Psalms of Ascent. And what these were is these were songs that were sung by the people of Israel as they journeyed to meet with God in Jerusalem. As the people of God spread about in the land that he had given them, he told them a couple times a year, I want you guys to make your way to Jerusalem and to the place where my spirit will dwell there in the temple. And on your way, you guys are going to be in this scary, long journey. And God inspired the people of Israel with a soundtrack, sort of a road trip track. And and we learned that as they traveled, they followed the Jordan River, and then they went to the Dead Sea, which is geographically the lowest place on earth. Then they would turn and literally ascend in elevation to meet with God there in Jerusalem. And the reason why we're we're studying these specific psalms is this. We've said that the physical journey of the psalm of ascents is a picture of the spiritual journey that we have with Christ. That Jesus sung these songs as he journeyed to Jerusalem. But when you lay that grid over our walk with Jesus, you see that it all makes sense. For many of us don't have the story of, my life was going great, everybody was healthy, I had big bags of cash laying around, and then I gave my life to Christ, right? It's, um, I was at the lowest point, right? I was at the lowest point in my life, and then I turned, and I realized the faithfulness of God. And we see that many of us are maybe beginning this journey, maybe we're new believers and we're starting out. Many of us are in the middle of the journey, and man, it's been long, and it's been a difficult season. 
And some of us are, are even at the end of the journey, towards the end of the journey. We're asking, how do we finish this journey well to go and be with the Lord? And, and I just need to take a moment. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've had some faithful preachers in this pulpit. And Mr. Mike Pollard, who's a board member, and Pastor Tyler filled the pulpit and preached the paint off the wall. And so can we just show them some love and thank them for their faithfulness? Yes. There's a burden that comes with preaching. Imagine final exams, all right? Those of you students who are finishing college and stuff, imagine that every Monday, right? Every Monday. And so for them to carry that burden is incredible. And as this series has sort of been in the back of our mind, we, we got to take a family road trip. And we got to go to family vacation, spent some time down in Pensacola Beach, Florida, um, where my aunt, Aunt Bibi is her name. Uh, it's my mom's sister. Aunt Bibi's been just a fun, incredible aunt my entire life. She's a blast. She lets you do all the stuff that your parents wouldn't let you do and all that good stuff, right? But Aunt Bibi, as, as long as I've been living, they had some property down in Pensacola Beach, and man, they've been wrestling back and forth, and they finally did it. They built just their dream home in Pensacola Beach. And so we thought, Aunt Bibi, you built your dream home. We'll come stay for free, right? <laughs> and so with the long journey down to Pensacola Beach and thinking about the Psalms of Ascent and all of this, and we got there and they gave us this tour and it was just incredible. But what was really cool is like this is a dream home. So when you look out their backyard, there really isn't a backyard. It's sand and the ocean. And as they were giving us a tour and Don, my uncle, was in development and construction, so he was telling me all the insider secrets about how you build a house there on the beach. And it's not like you do in southeast Missouri where you dig from the red clay and there's more red clay and then there's more red clay and then you lay concrete. They have these things called pilings, and they're 40-foot-long treated like telephone poles, okay? And they drill and they auger down in the sand, past the water, past all of this stuff until they get a firm foundation. And they drive these things down. And they drive them down 23 feet for the foundation of the home. And uh, in my aunt's house, they use 65 of these pilings. So to think about this, and then as we were looking on the inside, it was just beautiful and it was a great time. We had a, a fun, relaxing time as a family. But I got to thinking, like, Man, you can HGTV the inside of this house as much as you want. But if Hurricane Harvey comes, um, it doesn't matter about the inside of the house. What matters is, do you have that firm foundation and have you drilled down deep? And to continue with that analogy, in Psalm 127, the psalmist uses that analogy of building a home. But there's something that, that undergirds this entire psalm. And this psalm is very, very familiar about children or a blessing and a heritage. And they're like arrows and all of this. But, but Derek Kinder puts it this way, that even though this psalm is highly familiar, the main point is probably missed. Derek Kinder says this, One of the most telling features of this short poem is that it singles out the three most universal preoccupations for us as human beings. Building security, and raising a family. And it makes us ask what they all amount to and to whom we actually owe this to. At the beginning of the psalm, it says, a song of a sense of Solomon. Now, Westside, do you remember Solomon? Uh, you better, because we spent 13 weeks, all right, <laughs> on a book that that guy wrote, all right? Ecclesiastes. 
And if you look in the very first verse, it should give you a clue. Solomon's favorite word is there three times. Vain. Vanity. We learned that, that the word vanity is like trying to catch smoke. It's, it's impossible to do. You can be very busy doing it. You can feel very productive doing it. But at the end of the day, you have nothing to show for it. And this psalm is considered a wisdom psalm. This is why I love the Bible. I think oftentimes in our walk with Jesus, we like spiritualize stuff. You know, God said, God told me, sugar plum fairies, or whatever else, okay? But there's a whole section in the Bible called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is for everyday life. Solomon wrote Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. And Solomon's wisdom is super brash, right? He's, you know, like, here's Solomon's financial Bible study class. You ready? You have $5. The item costs $7. You can't buy that. Next week, we'll continue in Solomon's financial class, right? I mean, Solomon is just up front, like just boots on the ground. And today, in Psalm 127, imagine the people journeying in the desert. It's long, it's hot, it is a long journey. And there's some wisdom that we need to know in life. And there is a foundation that we must build our life upon. You see, the theological word that I'm talking about that's all over this text is called divine providence. Providence. Big word, right? Big word. So is mayonnaise and frappuccino, but we're going to learn something today, all right? Providence in in the secular term is not really understood like it should be in, in Bible terms. Here's here's the definition I want to work with for divine providence. Divine providence is God's powerful, personal, and continual care for his creation. Now, every word is chosen very carefully. Divine providence is God's powerful, powerful. Anytime in scripture when somebody hits a praise break, as we like to call it in 2019, and turn the volume up to 10, they're always like in this just excitement. They're trying to describe God, and then finally they're like, the God who created the world and everything in it, right? Because what's more powerful than creating the universe? So it's God's power. But here's where also Christianity separates from deism or or any other type of religion. You see, sometimes in in a different religion or in deism, there's a God who's created something. But then it's sort of like created creation and spun it like a top and then steps back and is not involved in it at all. And everything that happens is sort of coincidence. Coincidence. But you see, as Christians, we don't live by coincidence. We live by providence. And in Christianity, it says that the creator of the universe is so involved in his creation that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's not just power. It's personal. That the God who created the universe is concerned about your day-to-day affairs. That's, that's insane to think about. It's not just powerful and personal, but it's also continual. That the scriptures always say God did not just create everything, but that by his word he sustains everything as well. That it never stops. That Psalm 127 is talking about divine providence as a foundation for your life. When everything gives way, 
when everything is tested in your life, when sufferings, trials, or nothing that you could have ever predicted comes your way and blows against your house, you have to have a foundation. And the foundation has to be deep because God wants us to go the distance. And so the thesis today and the big idea is this. God's people are dependent upon God's providence. I mean, the very first word in the psalm is unless, <laughs> unless the Lord builds this house. It's, it's a psalm of desperation, if you will. And so if God's people are dependent upon God's providence, what does that look like? Well, the psalm is kind of difficult to break down, but we're going to look at it two ways. The first one is this. We're going to look at the builder, and then we're going to look at the blessing. So if God's people are dependent upon God's providence, the first thing that we see is this, the builder. Look at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Have, like, sometimes I think we try to make the Bible what it isn't, you know? So maybe you were raised in a church where, like, it's not okay to question God's word. God said it, and that settles it, brother, right? Like you're a WWE wrestler or something like that, right? But I think God wants us to ask questions because how do you learn by asking questions? So, look, who's building? Well, the Lord. Well, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Interesting. So God's building, but we also have builders as well. But now look at this. Unless the Lord watches over the city... The watchman who stays awake stays awake in vain. Okay, so we have a watchman in a tower who's watching over the city, but you're telling me that God is watching over the city. And then this, those people who, who go to bed at night to get rest really don't get rest because he gives to his beloved sleep. Do you see the tension in the text? Those who build the house labor in vain because God needs to build the house. Those who watch over the city Watch in vain because God needs to watch over the city. Those who have restless leg syndrome and try to go to bed at night and can't sleep don't really sleep because God's the one who gives sleep. You see, here's what we do. We don't like tension at all. So it's just, well, let's just get a nice little quote and put it in boxes and let's be okay with it. But what we see all through Scripture is this beautiful tension and partnership, if you will, of God's providence and then man's partnership. For God created the entire world in the garden and placed Adam and Eve in the center of it to work it and to keep it. And then we see it no more blatant than in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Do you remember Nehemiah? We talked through that some years ago. Nehemiah rebuilds Jerusalem and builds the wall in Jerusalem. And there's this moment where Nehemiah, what, here, I'll just read it to you, Nehemiah 4. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. He's giving like a William Wallace speech here, all right? Freedom, here it is right here. And then this is it. Our God will fight for us. Awesome. God's going to fight for us. So let's go take a nap. Well, that's not the next verse. Our God will fight for us, so we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Whoa, 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 Nehemiah. You just said God would fight for us. Why do I need to grab my spear? Because there's a beautiful partnership with God's creation and God's providence. And listen to this. God's providence 
empowers our obedience. <laughs> you hate that. It's the first point. I know, right? It has the word obedience in it, right? Because oftentimes what we think is, look at the promises of God. I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it. And God said it, so that settles it. And then you sit your lazy tail on your couch and you wonder why God's promises are not coming to fruition in your life. This is even true when, when the Apostle Paul talks about how the gospel takes root in a church. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians. I planted the church. Apollos watered in discipleship, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And then in Matthew chapter 16, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does all of this mean? Because then in Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples to go and spread the good news and build the church. What's so beautiful is when we realize the concept, as Psalm 127 is teaching us, of the foundation of God's providence, it empowers us to now step out in obedience. Because our fear of obedience is we don't know what the result of our obedience is going to be. And so we're scared. God, I know, forgive one another in Christ, or forgive one another in Christ as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wah, wah, wah. That's a lot of fun. But that means that I have to call someone or send them a letter or have a cup of coffee with them and look them in the eye, the person who hurt me, and tell them, I forgive you. That's the result of this. But what Psalm 127 is teaching is you don't need to fear that moment because God's powerful, personal, and continual care is there in that moment. So what's the application for this? The first one is this. I think that if we build God's way, we can then rest God's way. You see, it's there in the text. Unless the Lord builds this house, unless the Lord watches the city, and then this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Solomon, wisest dude outside of Jesus who's ever lived, more money, more pleasure. I mean, he makes a rap video look like child's play nowadays, right? I mean, the dude had money, women, all of this stuff. And Solomon also had a lot of sleepless nights because of a vain pursuit. And so he's writing in wisdom saying, you think it matters until you lay your head down at night. Why do you need substances? Why do you need all of this in order to rest? Because when you understand, when we build God's way, we can rest God's way. Maybe this will help. This is a picture in Greek mythology of the Greek god named Atlas. It's where we get the name for our maps. In Greek mythology, Atlas led a rebellion against Zeus, the big god of all other gods. And those gods failed in the rebellion against Zeus. So Atlas's curse by Zeus was to hold up the universe and to feel the weight of it constantly, all the time, for all of eternity. And if I were to ask some of you how you're doing, that picture would describe it. The weight of the world on your shoulders. And let me tell you some good news today. You were never designed to carry that. You were never designed to carry that. 
That's why, as Tim Keller says, when we put the weight of the world on our shoulders, what we do is we create idols. And we think that now it does all depend upon us. And anxiety enters in, and the sound of anxiety is the sound of our idols crumbling because there's no foundation underneath it anymore. I found this quote, and I couldn't ascribe the source to it. If you find it, let me know, but it's this. Anxiety is momentary unbelief. Now, please, I'm not talking about chemical imbalances or any of those things. You can have Jesus and a psychiatrist all at the same time, and praise be to God for that. But there are moments. See, bitterness is God got it wrong, and I'm mad about it. Anxiety is God can't handle it, so now God needs me. And so listen, this is going to be a very tough question. But do you feel this anxiety in things in your life because you are building something that God asked you not to build? That's why the rest isn't there, because you're toiling in something that you never were supposed to. So when we build God's way, we can rest God's way. But the second thing is this. We can work hard knowing that God works harder. It's so great. I mean, look, this psalm encompasses everything. And it says, you think you can provide X, Y, and Z in your life? Look at the basis of that. And it even comes to sleep. you got to understand, in ancient times, sleep was very mystical and all of those things. But also in ancient times, and especially in the psalm of ascent, if you were traveling and you were sleeping, you were very vulnerable, Right? So that's a great time to attack someone or rob one, someone when they're sawn logs, you know, right? Surprise, attack, okay? And what the psalmist is saying is, no, 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 no. You think you provide your own rest, but you don't. And you think that you can work, but actually in reality, the only way that you're even able to work is to know that God is working harder. Listen to me. Last night when you were sawing logs or hooked up to that machine that makes you sound like Darth Vader and all that stuff, it's okay. Praise God for modern medicine, man, all right? So whenever all of that was happening and in those eight hours when you were doing nothing, God was accomplishing more in those eight hours than you could accomplish in eight lifetimes. That's God's providence. And you can lay your head down at night knowing it does not depend upon me. And so now I rest and I rest and I also work hard knowing that it doesn't depend upon me. There's a freedom that comes with this. But it doesn't solve the tension of providence and partnership. And so I want to draw your attention to someone, something. Look, look in your bulletin. You, you've got a little piece of paper that has two columns. It says, my needs and my part. The left side, my needs, is like, just treat that like a prayer. Like, my needs, my marriage, my family, my finances, my health. I mean, just write down, God, I need this from you, man. I need this. And the second column is one that I think we often ignore in the church. My part. So what are you doing to ensure, oh, we rest in God's providence. For how many of you, when your child comes and asks for bread, that you would give them a stone? For your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask him. So we come and we know that you have provided and that you are divine, but at the same time, your providence empowers my obedience. So, all right, so I'm going to walk you through what this looks like, okay? So my needs, um, friendships, right? My needs, friendships. My part, 
Be nice. We're deep Bible study today, okay? Deep Bible study, all right? My needs, finances. My part, make a budget. We're in it today, guys, I'm telling you. My marriage, my needs, my marriage, my part, apologize. You see, but I know you're arguing, and, and it's okay, all right? So listen, what you're saying is I understand the obedience, Jason, and all that, but I don't know what's on the other side of obedience, okay? Right, that's called faith. And ladies, hey, you're going through the book of James. Faith without works is dead, right? So it's, the tension is faith works. So it's not so much, oh, I'm praying for you, as much as it also is, what can I also do for you at the same time? And what you're saying is, I don't know what's on the other side of that obedience, and that's fearful. Right, but God never places the outcome upon your shoulders. That is not your responsibility. Obedience is your responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. And so my needs, we beseech God for these needs. They are divine. Please provide for my children, for my family members. I mean, my needs. My grandfather doesn't know Christ. My needs. My part. I will share the gospel with my grandfather. Do you understand the tension that's there? And what we do is we don't want to live in it. But Solomon is saying a wise life, a wise life lives in that tension and understands in faith that when we step out on obedience, we are never left on our own. But we step out on the stones of God's providence. God's people are dependent upon God's providence. And so we see the builder. But now look at the blessing. This is great. This went over really well at the 9 a.m., so let's do it again, all right? Look at the flow of the psalm, okay? Are you looking? Are you looking at your Bible, all right? We go fishing. You take your fishing pole. You go swimming. You wear your swimsuit. You come to church. You grab your Bible. It's a crazy concept, I know, right? The first two verses are, like, profound, deep theology, right? Unless the Lord builds this house. It's awesome. Then it talks about sleep. Then verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord? <laughs> I feel like there should be like a question mark at the end of that. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Solomon, you took a hard right into like ADD, like squirrel, right? I mean, what is going on here? And I did some study this week. And listen, I tried to find a commentator that would disagree. And this is the flow. So, so Solomon writes Proverbs, practical wisdom for everyday life. Then he writes Song of Solomon which is about a man and a woman on their wedding night. Like, hey, girl, hey, right, okay, right? Solomon wrote that. Now, I want you to follow the logic, and I'm going to read this a certain way. Some of you already know where I'm going. Verse 2, if Solomon is understanding how to build the home, if that's the temple, which it partly probably is because Solomon built the temple, but if it's a home, if it's a Jewish understanding of a home, and verse 2 says that he gives to his beloved sleep, and if Solomon is picturing a home, a typical Jewish home, and a man and a woman get sleep and rest, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Are you following? Do I need to explain this anymore, right? Okay, are we good? All right, we're good. So listen, but listen, there's a practical application of this. Please, 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 listen. Solomon is reminding. You think the very thing 
the most intimate, the most profound creative act. You think you made those babies? Because behold, they're a gift from the Lord. (laughs) Here's what Solomon's saying. We are not self-sufficient beings. The very thing that we think we could pride ourselves in as human beings, that we did that, Solomon says, no, 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 no. A wise person understands that God's providence is in everything that we do. That literally, like, do you remember, like, generations ago, like, my mom used to make our clothes as four boys, and some of the pictures I would like to burn in a large pile because they're ridiculous, okay? You were like, Jay, I didn't know you were Amish. That's great, <laughs> right? We weren't, okay? But when my mom would get compliments about those outfits, he'd be like, oh, I made that. I mean, did you make that? Because you got some fabric and some material, and then you assembled those things together. Or like your grandmama's chicken or her coconut cream pie. Praise be to God for those, right? Oh, my grandmama just made that. Made it from scratch. Did you? Right? Think about it. Draw, draw it to its just complete conclusion. At the end of the day, we still have to take something to make something. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and without void. And God said, let there be light. Listen, I'm getting my Charlie dates on today. God looked at nothing, spoke to nothing, stepped out on nothing, and then something was there. That's the incredible power of God. And Solomon is saying at the very intimate act of your life, you still cannot get credit ultimately for that. That we are not self-sufficient beings. And I have to do a quick side note. Been in the game long enough. I know that we could, the church could herald these verses and single people or people without children could leave this place today and say people with kids, God loves more than people who don't. And in ancient times, I'll just be honest, that was a sign of blessing of God. That's why when Abraham and Sarah and when God opens up a womb and gives a child, God, listen to me, this is going to totally jack your political views, but it's okay, you already said through half the sermon. God is always moving to the marginalized and to the oppressed. You cannot read the Bible and make it say something else. You just cannot. But now on this side of the cross, we realize that there's nothing external that defines our identity. Paul says it this way to the church in Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to me. If you're single and if you don't have any children and you would long for that, listen, God doesn't love you any less. It's not based upon that. It's based upon the good, finished work of Jesus Christ, okay? I needed to say that because I've been in the game long enough, all right? But there is a parenting principle here. I mean, about children. And listen, Westside, may may we never take for granted what's taking place here at this church. This past Mother's Day, we dedicated 14 babies, okay? I went to a church this summer, and I walked in the nursery, and it wasn't a nursery. It was a storage unit. Because there's no babies. We are moving storage units to put babies in rooms, okay? They are not the future of the church. They are current in the church now. And God has given us a great blessing to steward. But how do we steward it? How do we look at it? Well, look at the analogy that Solomon uses. 
They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows, okay? We're in Butler County. Let's use a hunting analogy here, okay? Right? Praise be to God for the deer, right? Okay? An arrow is designed from conception, engineered and designed to leave and to land somewhere. It's the whole point, right? An arrow does no good for you hunting if you keep the arrow with you, right? And as Solomon is saying, this is how we should view children. That parenting is not helicopter parenting, and I'm going to keep these babies at home with me all the time, and I'm going to do every single thing for them, and I don't ever want to... Listen, you are doing that child and yourself a massive disservice. But biblical parenting is the process of making disciples who leave the home, and all the parents said, amen, leave the home to make more disciples. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of that, is to raise this child up in the ways of the Lord and then to send that child out into the mission field. It's also the way that our community groups work here, right? Every year, everybody gets mad. You ain't breaking up my community group. That was my best friend. We still gonna meet, right? Okay? Well, it's not designed. It's not designed to be that way, okay? That's called a club, and we're not for clubs. We're for making disciples, and the process of discipleship is a disciple disciples a disciple who then leaves that disciple to go find someone else who needs discipling. That is the structure and the blueprint of how God has designed this, and his providence, his personal, powerful, and continual care undergirds all of that. But there's also an understanding here about blessing. Because it says, blessed is the man. Behold, all of those things. It also teaches us how God's blessings work. Just in general, his promises. And if God's blessings are like an arrow, then that means that when God blesses you, that blessing should not end with you. But God blesses you to be a blessing to others. So have you benefited from someone in your community group here who's taken you out to coffee, answered all your crazy panic text messages? Right now, I'm about to lose my mind at work if you don't just pray for me right now. Have you benefited from all of that? Then question, look up here. I know it's funny, but look up here. Who are you doing that to? It doesn't end with you, okay? And I am weary to my core of black hole people who get blessings. Just, oh man, I need, I need your time. I need all of this. I need all of this. And it ends there. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. So listen, listen, this, this stings and it stung me this week. But whenever you get any extra income, yeah, right, any extra income or time or something frees up, is your first thought, how can I expend that upon myself? Or is your first thought is who needs this? Who else needs this? Who else needs my time? Who else needs this blessing? Listen, here's the question. How are you stewarding the gifts and the blessings that God has given you? How are you stewarding those? Because they're designed like an arrow to leave and to land. God's people are dependent upon God's providence. 
we're going to end. We've, all, we've been doing these questions called questions for the road. Just like if you're on a road trip, it's a great time to talk and connect when you're driving in the car. I, I hear from people oftentimes, man, some of my favorite time is driving to work and from work. I either turn the radio off, and I just think and I pray, or I turn the radio on and I just get my praise break on in the car. But these questions are designed for you to apply this to your life. The first question is this. Are you passive to God's work in your life? Or are you partnering with God's work in your life? Right? My needs, my part. So God, please, I, I need a job. I need you to provide for me. And we wake up in the morning and we hit our knees and we grab our Bible and we're reminded of God's providence in our life. And then we go and fill out job applications. My needs, my part. And listen, I would almost bet a thousand on it that that glass ceiling that you feel like that you are in in your spiritual walk with Christ, the thing that will put you through that is the act of obedience. Because on this side of obedience, we don't have the answers. But once we pass through that doorway and we partner with God in his providence, we realize the whole time what was taking place. And then there was a word in here that struck out to me this weekend. I've been meditating on it. Eating the bread of anxious toil. My last question is simply this. Are you anxious? I've been really struck in my study over the past couple of years. God is so concerned about an anxious mindset. So t- He's so tender towards the anxious mindset. It's almost his heart breaks that are you anxious therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body or what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, Solomon, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arraigned like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, act that way. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things will be added unto you. Therefore, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God provides for us. And now we get to come to the table where he provided salvation. The body broken and the blood shed. 
So I don't know what you need to do today. I don't know if you need to come forward with that list and you write those needs, but at the same time, you confess and say, God, I've been lacking on this part. And today, thank you for the reminder that your providence empowers my obedience. Or today, you just leave your anxiety and you pick up the body broken and the blood shed. Heavenly Father, we come before you today laid bare. God, we are open. And we ask that you in your tender mercy and kindness would speak as you have just spoken. We recognize that it might be tough, but we know that you care, that you love, that you're tender. So God, I pray today that today would just be a precipice for someone. I pray today that a life would be changed as we see the assurance of your providence, that now our fear is removed and that we would step out in a bold faith to meet you and partner with you there. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.